I eat a fry every day this summer. Or from that building site. You know, now again, we didn't win, so maybe it wasn't the right thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I should have been there the food and the pasta. <laughs> OTB AM. Live, weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, it's 15 minutes past eight. It's time for us to uh, turn our attention to the situation at Manchester United, where, you know, uh, one swallow doesn't make a summer, but three of them in a row certainly makes people think, oh, we can feel a bit of sun on our backs. I'm delighted to say Samuel Luckhurst is with us again. Sam, good morning to you. How are you doing? Good morning. Very well, thank you. Thanks the, for having me on, as always. The uh, the mood music has definitely changed. Um, what about the quality of performances? We, we can get into the the, uh, the overarching struggles that the club have had and, and whether or not a tide has been turned. Uh, have the performances still got room to, to grow as well? So is this the beginning of the process, I suppose I'm asking? Undeniably, Ten Hag's been quite consistent about that and he said it again yesterday that there's room for improvement individually and collectively. Uh, I think United is still not playing the way he would prefer them to play. Their preferred tactic still seems to be uh, the counter-attack you saw with pretty much all the goals against Arsenal yesterday, which has a bit of the Solskjaer about it, certainly pre-autumn of of last year when when it was effective. And Ten Hag doesn't want them to play that way. It wants to be more progressive, possession-based. They're still yet to master that. But after the two debacles against Brentford and Brighton, it was all about getting points on the board and Fair play to him and, and the players and what he's done since then. They've they've taken 12 out of 12. So um, now the transfer window's closed and he's integrating new signings into the team and they have stabilised uh, for, for a couple of weeks there. Now he'll probably try and get his, try and implement his style more now uh, that the competitive games have, have started and the window is closed, crucially. Being a counter-attacking team may not, be exactly what Eric Ten Hag wants his side to be but it does feel like maybe it's exactly what they need right now when we talk about the mood music around the club like think back to that first day against Brighton second a couple of misplaced passes started the crowd were getting on their back whereas yesterday even when Arsenal were in the ascendancy you felt that United supporters weren't panicking because there was that belief actually we can get them we, all we need is the ball to fall to Eriksen or Fernandez at the right time and we can get them on the counter-attack that there's an excitement to that style of play that maybe suits United where they are right now. Maybe it doesn't bring them a title long term, but for the progression over the next six months, being that exciting counter-attacking team is, is just what they need. Yeah, I completely agree. And one of the key aspects of that is the, the signing of Christian Eriksen and that they've got a player from deep who can break the lines with his passing. Previously, it was only Fernandez, And of course, Fernandez plays high up the pitch, close to the striker. He was very good as well yesterday. Uh, both those players were involved in, in all three goals. But Ericsson is, is effectively playing this Frankie De Jong role without United signing Frankie De Jong and they, they didn't have to pay a fee for him. So, so far, that, that deal is working out very well. The more you watch Ericsson, the more you understand why the previous three uh, permanent United managers actually called him up and tried to sign him. So, as I said earlier, although Ten Hag wants them to play a more progressive, controlling uh, form of football, I think they only had they had some like thirty nine percent of the ball yesterday against Arsenal. And although the crowds, uh, as you say, were, were extremely supportive, and the mood is com- completely different from a couple of weeks ago um, when, when they had the protests before the Liverpool game, and that those those chants about the Glazers are continuing. There were a few occasions yesterday where. The, the crowd was, was getting audibly exasperated with, with Rashford for not being at full throttle uh, while he was playing up front. 
But one of the things that really impressed about Ten Hag is how proactive a manager he is in that he brought Ronaldo on quite early yesterday, having brought Casemiro on quite early in the second half against Leicester. And both those substitutions had had a big impact. And Rashford, I don't think it's a coincidence that his three goals this season have come when he has moved to the left wing and he can run into areas where the space is vacated. Uh, in the case yesterday by Ronaldo, where he drops off the Rashford can play on the shoulder of the last defender. And that high line from Arsenal just didn't work yesterday. And United were able to score a couple of goals that way. It's interesting that... Um... The Rashford form has this kind of knock-on impact on everything else because all of a sudden you don't have to play anybody else in any of the forward positions. If he's playing well, he's an option for you across the line and then as a result of that, there's competition. So uh, Jadon Sancho is not going to play 90 minutes if he's not playing well in the game. However, uh, his standard will rise because of the competition that he feels because if he's not playing well, he's going to be substituted. So it's kind of this uh, virtuous circle that, that... But it only works if Rashford's scoring goals. So we were having this conversation a little bit earlier on about like sliding doors moments. The, the, uh, he's clean through, the deflection happens and it takes the ball past the goalkeeper. Ball nestles in the bottom of the net. If he misses that opportunity, the exasperation of the crowd maybe rings in his ears a bit more. But all of a sudden, you know, those one, two chances that he scored in the last couple of weeks, that could be transformative to his career. It certainly could. And when you would look at the attack now with, with Anthony in there, you would struggle to say that Rushford is, is a certain starter because although he is starting through the middle, that the feeling among United fans, certainly those of us who watch them quite regularly, is that it, there's no real debate over where his best position is. It is on the left-hand side. He's played his best football for United there. He's played most of his football for United there. Uh, Gareth Southgate seems to feel, certainly when Rashford was in the England squad, that that's where he can maximise him the best. Now, Ten Hag is obviously playing through the middle for now, but it, there were some you know, some uh, supporters who were surprised yesterday that Rashford still started, given that Ronaldo looked a bit sharper on the ball when he came on against Leicester. You can't just discount Ronaldo either because of the impact he had when, when he came on and, and Rashford was obviously able to move to the left. But despite all that chatter about Paris Saint-Germain, um, he, he does seem refreshed playing under Ten Hag, uh, a coach who obviously has has a good track record of improving not just uh, any players that he inherits on an individual basis, but the, the attackers he inherits. So although there's pressure on Rashford in that you would possibly look at that attack and think when everyone's fit, it's going to be Anthony, uh, Martial, given how uh, propitious his preseason was, and Sancho. Um, he's he's got three goals so far, and he's he's certainly got a hell of a lot of incentives to sustain this form in the run up to the selection for the World Cup. England have got one more squad to get get together this month. So far, you'd probably say that Rashford will get back in um, on the strength of his start to the season. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the improvement in in the performance of players who had previously not been playing particularly well. So McTominay had become a bit of a punchline. It's interesting to see him holding off Casemiro for now from the team, but actually playing very well. We've obviously seen the the right-back suddenly not be a problem, but maybe actually something where we are talking about somebody who could have a long-term future in the team. Um, That's two. We've talked about Rashford. Uh, What's happening there with those players that is making them um, good, or at least competent? Well, McTominay always seems to get a, a bounce from a new manager. Uh, it took a while under Solskjaer, but when he did finally start, he pretty much stayed in the team. And at the start of 
Solskjaer's first full season. He was, he was probably just as key to United as, as Rashford was. Rashford was getting most of the goals in those first few months, but McTominay was was the glue in that midfield. And when he did get injured, they they missed him. Uh, Rangnick took a shine to him, and now Ten Hag keeps on playing him ahead of Casemiro. I mean, that that was a bit of a shock yesterday that Casemiro, who had been at the club for a fortnight, was was still on the bench, whereas Anthony, who was a, officially a nice player for a matter of days, was was thrown straight into the team. But McTominay, I think he's got that. He's got the right mentality. Uh, he understands the, the the pace of the Premier League, the, the aggressive nature of it, and he is the kind of midfielder who you could always see uh, relishing those those games against Arsenal. He's he certainly relished playing against them in the past. Whether that informed Ten Hag's thinking, it'd be interesting to know. But you, you can rely on McTominay to be quite disciplined, to win the ball, um, to you know make keep up with the tempo, really. And and that's going to be interesting when Casemiro does get in the team, how, how he fares in a very intense game from, from start to finish, potentially. With with Dallow, again, he, he gained the trust of, of Rangnick quite quickly. He he did OK under Rangnick. I wouldn't say he was particularly you know, one of them. There were a handful of players that enjoyed their time plan under him and, and performed. But compared with Aaron Misaka, who was a player Ole Gunnar was trying to replace last year with Kieran Trippier, uh, it's, it's like night and day, and, and Dallo does look an even more confident player under Ten Hag. That back four is unrecognisable now from the back four Solskjaer settled on, where it was a, an Anglo-Scandi back four, if you like, where you had one Saka, Maguire, Lindelof and Shaw. It now consists of um, a, a completely overseas uh, back line there. Maguire obviously came on yesterday and got booked pretty much straight away. So unless there's an injury to any of those uh, four starting defenders at the moment, it's difficult to see Maguire or Wambasaka or, or Luke Shaw getting in, which again is interesting uh, given the knock-on effect it have on England. So although it's still early days with Ten Hag, uh, it was quite apparent during pre-season that he does have this propensity for improving individuals and individuals do gain his trust and do buy into his methods very quickly. Just on Casemiro, it is still very early days, but obviously his signing came at the end of a long, arduous summer of trying to get Frankie de Jong, trying to get Adrian Rabiot. Like, the fact that he doesn't start a big game like that yesterday, would there be any sense that like he, he's not Ten Hag's man, that in the biggest games, maybe Ten Hag will worry about having a midfield of Casemiro Fernandez and Eriksson and their mobility against like an Arsenal, say those three behind Jesus, and even Jesus who dropped deep, you know, the constant rotations that maybe actually there'll always be a place for a McTominay or a Fred. It's an interesting point, and I suppose the longer it carries on with Casemiro not, not starting a league game, I think he will start against Real Sociedad, but you, you, they weren't signing him to start in Europa League group games necessarily. It was mainly the bread and butter of the Premier League. And, of course, De Jong was, was the one that, that Ten Hag really wanted. And people at United have held their hands up. They said there was never any chance they were going to sign De Jong and Casemiro. Effectively, the fee they agreed with Barcelona for Frankie De Jong was eventually invested on Casemiro. They would certainly have been open to signing Adrian Rabiot and one of uh, Frankie De Jong and Casemiro. Casemiro and Frankie Dion, I don't need to go on uh, to both of you about how markedly different those two midfielders are. But you clearly saw after the Brentford debacle and after uh, the, the statement that came out from Sir Jim Ratcliffe's spokesperson 
that there was a complete shift in the uh, spending from Manchester United in the summer. They went from you know, scrumging around in uh, the, the bargain basket, looking for Marco Arnautovic and, and, and Adrian Rabio to invest in something like 150, 160 million pounds in Casemiro and Anthony. Anthony was very much a priority signing, was very much a signing that Ten Hag wanted. With Casemiro, there were discussions for a lot longer than than appeared to be the case. I mean that 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 interest emerged quite late in the day, and it seemed to be done quite quickly thereafter. But United did touch base earlier in the window. It's interesting that he was clearly seen as as a backup target to De Jong. In the as I said earlier, they are very very different players. Casemiro is definitely what United need more than than De Jong in that. They just did not have a defensive midfielder in their squad before they signed him. And a defensive midfielder is non-negotiable in the Premier League. You look at every elite club or every very well-run club in the Premier League with a, a good squad, and they've all got a defensive midfielder. So, belatedly, United cottoned on, and, and maybe Ten Hag was was delusional up until the point, and that point might specifically have been the Brentford thrashing where Christian Eriksen was the deepest midfielder. So it, it will be interesting to see how long Tommy uh, stays in the team because he, he has done OK uh, in the last couple of games prior to the Arsenal game, which was by far away his best performance of the season. But after one game this season um, in the Brighton defeat, he was, he was dropped at Brentford. So ironically, by being dropped for that Brentford game, that's probably uh, done no it saved harm whatsoever. Him. Yeah. Yeah. You also need the McTominays of this world, don't you? As you're building a squad over the next few years. Like Manchester United, year, yeah. success was built on the Wes Browns, Darren Fletcher's, John O'Shea's, who could come in and always give you a 7-8 out of 10 performance. Yeah, yeah I, I completely agree. Um, I think there's this idealistic view, certainly from a, a faction of the fan base online, that your squad must only consist of world-class players or top-draw players and that only applies at, at a handful of clubs, um, may, maybe Manchester City, maybe Liverpool, certainly in the Premier League. But there are players who, I mean, historically at United, as you just said there, that has always been a great help to them in that they've got players who can come in, who are versatile, who um, are, are maybe a level above squad filler, but they're always going to be on the bench and whatever the occasion you're you're going to get a shift from there, and and McTominay has has overachieved in in just really playing for the United first team. Uh, he was never somebody at academy level who struck anyone as being a certainty or, or really having much of a chance of getting in. But of course, Mourinho took a shine to him, and he seems to have transcended every manager that has come in there since. Um, Angle Di Maria's wife's comments last week I don't know if they were new or if they were a rehashing of the original comments or if it was like an updated version of a book that had been published but certainly they did the rounds and uh, people were suggesting that oh, it's going to be difficult for some people to settle in Manchester but it appears as if Anthony has settled in uh, Manchester very well kissing the badge and then out in the town last night Yes, I think he was at Hawksmoor on Deansgate so it was quite a good choice of... Um Restaurant to, to, to celebrate his, his debut. Uh, I mean, I think Dean Maria's wife did say um, something about the, the city apparently being dreadful. Well, her experiences of it were dreadful um, during during lockdown a couple of years ago. But the, the days where foreign players would come to uh, cities in uh, England outside Manchester and just think that the weather was terrible and the food was terrible just seemed like. 
they, they belong to a bygone age now. These cities are so multicultural. Uh, you, you, you walk along Deansgate, you see the variety of restaurants and also the just just the, the, the makeup of the people. It's it's an it's an extremely diverse city. It appeals to footballers. Um, a lot of footballers have had no problem settling in whatsoever. It, it seems like the De Maria's had a hang up about Manchester because that's the one season where he had an absolute nightmare and they can clutch at as many straws as they like. But I think Louis van Gaal put it quite well a few years ago that he said that he played De Maria in literally every position and he didn't play well enough in any of them. He obviously scored a goal, Anthony, and took it took it really well. Uh, the other bit that United fans were like was the, the bit of nastiness to him. Like he was up for this. He was in the face of the Arsenal players throughout. He was leaving the boot in. He was maybe a bit rash at times, was uh, diving into challenges. Uh, like he is your typical modern footballer, very lean, very quick. Uh, but if he has that edge as well, it'll really stand to him. I mean, it was it was noticeable, like Lissandra Martinez, uh, his former team at Ajax, how, how tiny he is as well in the flesh. But it'll be interesting as well to see how with with Brazil at the World Cup with with Anthony Neymar and Richarlison how many uh, how many opponents they actually wind up because they've they've got quite the, the skill set there with <laughs> with those three at the very least. Um, I mean, United did need a left-footed forward to to balance out that attack. It was far too lopsided. There was an acceptance that they had too many players of a similar profile. Elanga, Martial, Rashford, Sancho, all right-footed, all have played their best football United from the left-hand side. So Anthony was always going to uh, slot in on the right. He was always going to start as well because of the investment. He was a priority target as well. Um, he, he adapted re- relatively well to it. It was, it was quite a variable half he was having up until he scored, and he scored you know, it was a beautifully taken goal the way he just curled it around Aaron Ramsdale and made it look very easy, held his position to, to stay on side. Um, and, and he was taken off at a time that, you know, although United were winning, they were a little bit under the cosh, so there had to be an adjustment and, and Ten Hag wasn't going to be um, too sentimental about giving one of these one of these players that he, he developed into a 100 million euro player too much time when it was his first game in three weeks. So United fans have immediately taken to him, uh, as you expected they would, given his, his character. And uh, it's, it's not taking him long to, to kiss the badge, which uh, I th- I'm sure some supporters will turn their nose up about. I think it's, it's probably would have been wiser to give that a little bit longer. But when you score, your, I think he's the first Premier League Goal-scoring Davidson for United since since Rashford uh, six and a half years ago when he was a teenager. So when you when you tend to start off that well, uh, the the fans do take to you very very quickly. Uh, you, you've already mentioned it's Sociedad on Thursday, and then the games start to come thick and fast. So the squad will be tested, and I presume we're going to see a good bit more of Casemiro. I do wonder what the final makeup of the midfield is going to be if you rest Christian Eriksen a bit, given you know, what's happened to him over the last couple of years, or do you just play him every, every game? It seems like he's um, he's unbreakable at the moment. His performance was absolutely sensational. So I, I, is this still a team, like, do we feel like we know that the first choice is going to be maybe Casemiro comes in from Atomane, but everything else is fairly much written in stone at the moment? Or is there room for a midfield trio which evolves over the course of the season? Some games when they think they're going to have a load of ball, they don't play um, the, the two number eights. Uh, some games where they are going to have a load of the ball. I, like, is there? I, I, what is that midfield as the season progresses? Do you think? 
I think it will be Casemiro coming in with with Ericsson and um, and, and Fernandez up top. I mean, there was very briefly a uh, suggestion that Ericsson and, and Fernandez would be incompatible. I, I never really saw that myself. Ericsson's always had this ability to to play from deep, and as I said earlier, he, he pretty much is occupying that role that um, Ten Hag had intended uh, De Jong to to take on, but. In, in some ways, you, you prefer that to be Ericsson, that he's, he's Premier League experienced. He knows what he can get away with, what he can't get away with. I, I think in some ways, what happened at Brentford, uh, playing Ericsson deep and United getting embarrassed the way they did, might be a blessing in disguise long term in that it was a wake-up call for, for Ten Hag and they did get Casemiro in the following week, they they clearly moved partly because of that result, probably because as well, what was going on in the background uh, with with the protests, with the, the fan rancor. So I, I'd say going forward, it will be Casemiro, Eriksson and Dion. With, with the Sociedad game, I suspect that will be a, a game for Casemiro and Fred, which is a pretty good alternative to McTominay and Eriksson that Casemiro and Fred start regularly for Brazil. So if you're playing two Brazil starters in your first Europa League group game and that's seen as rotation, that's a much better position the United yeah. squad is in um, this season than it was, obviously, t- at the end of last season. Things have definitely improved. One last question. You, you mentioned the, the fan protest and how important it was in, in sparking the spending spree. Has the fan protest, uh, has the level dissipated somewhat? I mean... Anytime we talk about this, we get criticised by the fans saying, oh, you know, nothing, we're still protesting. It's still as big as it ever was. But it certainly doesn't feel as as big as it was two, three weeks ago. It seems as if a lot of the heat has been taken out of it by the fact that the team is doing well on the field again. There were protests again yesterday uh, for, for ourselves. I was in the Munich tunnel when they were protesting um, before the Norwich game in, in April. And where the shutters came down... Um, we, we missed the start of kickoff, so that that's a risk you take. Some colleagues did go out to cover the process prior to the Liverpool game, and they got back into the stadium. I think the twenty second minute, so about half a dozen of them missed United's best period of the whole match and missed them going one nil up, which is is not great when you're there to essentially cover a football match. But it was always going to subside after the Liverpool game, and that, as you say, United have won four matches since, and. The Glazer family, despite um, the, the statement coming out from Sir Jim Ratcliffe, spokesman, they have never at any point shown any inclination to to sell up. Uh, they've obviously made adjustments. There has been, as Ten Hag rather diplomatically said, an adaptation with the budget in that they went from looking at Arnautovic and Rabiot, who'd have cost barely £30 million between them, to signing two players for something like £150 million so the, the start of the season has definitely had an, an impact on enhancing the squad. But I think these things are natural. Uh, when things are going well, the the rancor is, is not as um, as febrile as it is when, when they're going badly. And at the start of the season, it was going very, very badly. And they've, they've managed to turn it around. So the impact of the protests is not going to be as, as noticeable. It's not going to be as newsworthy as well. Uh, I don't think there were any colleagues outside yesterday that were covering it and speaking to a friend who's a season ticket holder who um, participates in these protests but is, is aware of how flawed they are uh, he was he was not too happy with how it was choreographed yesterday but that's it's, it's going to be to 
different people's tastes. I mean, everybody's going to have an opinion on what the best way forward is, but there's no there's there's no uh, perfect solution for for the United supporters in terms of ousting the Glazers. Because as I said, there's a very safe distance uh, between the Glazers and the Manchester United supporters, and that that is the Atlantic Ocean. Samuel, great to have you with us as ever. Thanks a million. Cheers. Thank you very much. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.